My name is Jennifer. I'm a compulsive eater. Um, the standing up thing is so weird. Um, but, okay, I will, I will say, I will do all those things that people say and it bugs the heck out of me, but I think they're really important. So I came into program in 2007. My abstinence is I eat three meals a day. I have two optional snacks. And uh, just recently added one food to my abstinence, which is I don't eat pizza. Um, I also have a list of red light foods. I made a list early on of red, yellow, and green light foods. And um, I have not had recreational sugar in 12 years. So no cakes, no cookies, none of that stuff. But it's not, it's not part of my abstinence. When I first started, my sponsor was like, I don't have any food on my abstinence. And um, so I was like, I'm just going to do whatever you're going to do. But I was very lucky in that those things were lifted. Um, uh, what, else, what else can I tell you right away? Uh, so I, oh, I'm going to tell you this part right away, which, which I don't care to do. So um, <laughs> I was talking to my sponsor the other day. I have never been a person who had a ton of weight to lose. I came into program when my... Uh, oldest daughter was about a year old. She's 13 now, and I could not stop eating. I weighed 177 pounds when I came into program. Uh, I'm five foot three, and uh, my lowest weight in program was 154 pounds. And right now my weight is back up. It's about 169 pounds. So I have to say that because my disease is telling me lately, like, hey, we're going to need you to leave because you don't have a good story, and uh, and your weight loss doesn't make a good arc. You know, um, so that I, there's nowhere else to go. So I, I have to say that. And I always want to say that because I feel like it is a three legged stool. You know, it's physical, it's emotional and spiritual. And at different times, I've had more recovery in different areas. Um, so there's that. And um, I wanted to talk to you kind of about how I work the program today and how I've how I've worked it before. Um, the First thing I want to say is my program is imperfect, and whenever people say that, then I just hear them go on to say a whole bunch of shit that sounds, excuse me, stuff that sounds perfect, <laughs> that they do. Um, so my program is really imperfect. Uh, what, it, what it looked like when I came in, I came in desperate because um, after, I, after I had my daughter, uh, there were a lot of people who were just like, it's going to be so easy to lose weight. You're going to breastfeed and the weight is going to fall off. And I thought never in my life has the weight ever fallen off. But sure, let's try it. And it didn't work. And, um, and I knew from like where I grew up and different people that I knew, it just seemed like you got pregnant, you gained 100 pounds, and then you never, ever lost it again. And you turned into this weird, angry, asexual blob. And I was like, I do not want that to be my story. Um, so I came in. I was sitting in the back at a meeting, and um, it was a meeting in the valley that was called Recovery from Relapse. And so everyone who shared at that meeting had recovered from relapse, which was fascinating because I was brand new in program. I didn't know what any of that meant. But I know now that if you're at a recovery from relapse meeting, all of those people have been through it and had to get it back again. So there was a lot of recovery there. And uh, a woman sat down next to me after the meeting. She had taken a candle for like a year, and she said, how's it going? And I just started sobbing. And I said, will you sponsor me? I don't know what to do next. And I did everything she said for three years. I did my eating history. Um, I made my list of foods. I called her. I called her every morning, Monday through Friday, for three years. Um, I, was, I was not able to 
uh, do my food ahead of time. That, that is something I've gone on and off with throughout the years, that some people are like, I plan my food out ahead of time and I give it to my sponsor. And I'm a real people pleaser, and I thought, if I tell this woman I'm going to do this, and I know I can't do it, I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'll totally call you and I'll give you my food, and then I'll never call her again. So I tried to be honest and say, I think I would rather die than tell you what I'm going to eat before I eat it. And she said, okay, well, instead, why don't you tell me what you ate afterwards? Why don't you email that to me, and then we, you know, we'll talk about that. And so I did that for a long time. I did that for three years, uh, and then I had another child, and I made the mistake of making my program all about my sponsor. I stopped going to meetings. Um, because I was like, I'm doing a lot of stuff here. You know, I want a lot of credit for what I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm calling my sponsor. I have two small children. I think that's about all I'm going to do. And then my sponsor uh, left program and had to uh, let go of responses. And um, I always want to share this next part because I think it shows really what a selfish addict I am. I was so angry at her. I was like, how could you possibly leave me? Like, how could you leave me? How could you leave the program? And it took probably four or five more years to be like, oh, wow, that lady took my calls. She didn't know me. Every day for three years. I'm sure she had some other things she'd rather do at 7 o'clock in the morning. But she got on the phone with me for 10 minutes every day for three years. So uh, dial back that resentment just a bit, you know. She did a lot of good stuff for me. Um, so um, another, uh, another uh, you know, brutally honest stuff that I want to talk about is my relationship with sponsors over the years. So my sponsor left. I was mad and felt like I was mad at uh, my sponsor and mad at program, which is the dangerous part of it, is that personifying of the sponsor becoming like your higher power and the program, because it can never work because your sponsor is a human, a human person. You know, and so then when they fail, I can't afford to just chuck the whole thing out because somebody, you know, gave me the stink eye. I'm like, forget it, never mind. Um, so I've had five, I think five sponsors over 12 years. Um, and I've been a sponsor, I think I've sponsored six or seven people over that time. Um, and I've had the whole gamut of, of relationships. I had a sponsor who was like, yeah, call me whenever. And that was the extent of our relationship. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I don't like this. And then I had another sponsor who was like, I'm only available at 2 in the afternoon. And I was like, I am never available at 2 in the afternoon, but I'm desperate, so I'm going to try and make it work. And then it just ended up being me frustrated. Um, then I had a sponsor who I loved, who turns kind of more into a friend, uh, which I loved having my sponsor as a friend. And she was a, a good sponsor, and we were very close, and then she died. And then I was really, I spent uh, probably about a year and a half um, trying to figure out how I was going to get another sponsor because I was grieving and I was just, and also every time you get a new sponsor, it's like you have to, you know, there's a woman in the program who always says you open your bathroom to a new person who's going to be like, yeah, or no. And it, it's hard. Um, so currently I have a sponsor who, uh, I think she's the perfect sponsor for me because she scares me just a little bit, and uh, she's very kind and loving. Um, and um, she's not afraid to say, you know, I'll send her 
uh, I'll send her my food and uh, like I'm going to have this and she'll say that's great and if you're going to change that please text me and about 50% of the time I text her and 30% of the time I put it in my 10th step at night um, what, I, what I do to stay to keep my head in the game I feel like program is just a series of speed bump, speed bump activities to keep the disease away from me so the speed bump activities are at night, I do a 10th step that's centered on that A-E-I-O-U. So it's, was I abstinent? Did I exercise? Uh, what did I do for myself today? How did I take care of myself? I try to concentrate that in, like, what program things did I do? Uh, what did I do for other people? How did I relate to them? And what did I uncover or not want to talk about? Then I also send a gratitude list and what I'm going to eat for the next day. And so you'll notice I said 50% of the time I text, and then 30% of the time I put it in the email. So then there's 20% of the time it just hangs around and I think about it. Um, and that is progressive, progressive honesty. That's what I'm going for, and that's the best I can do. Uh, I talk to my sponsor four days a week in the morning, and uh, sometimes... I'll text her and say, oh, I can't make the call, or I'll, or I'll oversleep. And uh, about a year ago, I said, you know, I think a lot of times when I miss the call, the reason I miss the call is that, you know, I ate too much the night before, or I'm kind of embarrassed. And she said, oh, I know that. And I was like, oh, you do? She's like, oh, yeah, no, I know that. Don't worry. I know that you're going to get to the point where you can be more honest with me. And it, it really... Uh, it really brought me to tears because, like I said, she's, she doesn't mince words. And the fact that she knows that I'm not being 100% honest, but it's the best I can do, and I'm racked with guilt that I'm not being 100% honest. And she was just like, it's fine, which makes me want to be more honest with her, um, which, is, uh, which is really important for me. I'm, because of being a people pleaser, I'm a huge white lie person. Like, oh, I think this is going to be better if we just lay it out like this. Like, you're going to like me if you think I'm a program star. Um, so I want to share a couple of things about tools and when they've worked. Um, they usually work when I use them, which is self-explanatory. Um, but uh, a couple of examples. Uh, I've recently had some trouble with a couple of alcoholic foods coming back in. Uh, uh, I had a friend one time who I struggled with soda on and off for a while, and, and a friend of mine in the program said, it's not really soda, it's like it's who soda hangs around with. And I'm like, that's exactly it. It starts a craving. Um, and so I, uh, I was struggling with some foods, and uh, they're foods that my kids like. And I came home one day, and I was like, you know what, there's some of that food over there, and I think just to relax, I'm going to eat four of those. And, uh, and I was like, okay, uh, let's try this. It's going to be super painful, but I want you to take like a, the back of an envelope. And I was like, I, you can have all four of them if you just write on the back of the envelope what you're feeling. Just write it right now. Like, how do you feel? Why do you want to eat it? And um, it took 30 seconds. And it was basically like, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling scared, I, I'm not sure what the next step is, and I, I want comfort right now. And by the time I got to the end of the envelope, I was like, oh, 
I'm not going to eat those rolls. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not happy about it, but I'm not going to do it. So I, I'd like to share what, what worked, like what actually happens and what I actually do. Um, because my program is not perfect, but when I pick up pieces of it and use it, I feel better. Uh, which is all I ever wanted to feel. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to feel included. I wanted to feel loved. And so I would say, okay, well, food is going to get me those things. And um, sometimes food still gives me what I want, which is, <sighs> but there's other things that give that to me too. Um, phone calls, texting. I'm not really good at phone calls all the time. Texting is better. And um, texting, is, texting is hard for me because I know as soon as I start to text to somebody, hey, I'm having trouble, I'm not going to do the thing. I'm not going to do it. Hey, I'm having trouble, I want to eat this, I want to do that. Um, my, the anniversary of my father's death was a few, uh, was a few uh, weeks ago, and, um, and I found myself wanting to go. My, my father and I bonded by eating we ate, and I don't eat a lot of the foods that we used to eat together anymore, but one of the things we used to do is go out to eat a lot, and diners, like to go to a diner. But I don't want to eat a salad at a diner, so sometimes that becomes problematic, you know? Um, and I was, I was really sad, and I had a difficult relationship with my dad, but I was thinking about him, and I was like, I'm going to go into this diner, and I'm going to get a huge plate of fries and think about my dad. And there was this teeny tiny part in the back of my head that was like, that kind of doesn't make sense. Why would you just text somebody? And so I texted somebody, and I didn't hear back right away, and then I called somebody, and then I called another person, and I was like, oh, this is what they mean. And then I went in, and I ate a salad, and I laughed eating the salad, thinking, you know, it's still a way of bonding with my dad because if my dad was here with me while I was eating the salad we would both say salads are so stupid and then we would laugh but I'm eating the salad which is the thing I need to do for me to keep me um, to keep me sane Um, I'm in my sixth step right now I've gone through the the steps four times Um, and then I will just say in here part of the reason I went through the steps uh, multiple times because I was I did service I've done service at the group level. I've also done service at the intergroup level. Um, I'm currently ending my term as the Foothill, uh, Foothill Intergroup website person. Uh, I, I did not know anything, anything about websites before I got there. But I was probably 55 years younger than anyone else there who was interested in learning. So I was like, I'll do it. That's fine. Um, and before, before that, I was the special events coordinator. And I did that for three years. And, and uh, just a plug for service. I've had the problem of getting too involved in service. But I will tell you, when my, when my father passed away, I was in the middle of planning a traditions workshop for the Foothill Intergroup. And I remember standing at this funeral just being like, you, do you want to eat that and then lose your abstinence and then get up and be like, let's talk about the traditions. And I was like, no, no, I don't. And so I didn't. So it kept me, it kept me in. Um, so right now being on step six, I've never been able to say character defects before. I always thought it was like shaming and terrible. But for some reason this time I'm like, oh no, it's just a way for my brain to organize what's happening. Um, 
so I have a lot of procrastination, a lot of fear, um, a lot of trying to get my self-image from other people. And um, so now when those things come up, instead of it being like a brand new thing every time, like, oh, my God, what's going on? Oh, that's right. I'm afraid. Okay. All right. So now if I'm afraid, my brain doesn't waste a lot of time saying, like, well, what about this and what about that and what about this? Oh, it's fear. Okay, so what happens when we have fear? I was driving on the way here today and I saw a bumper sticker that is part of a religious tradition I'm not a part of, but the bumper sticker said trust from the beginning to the end, and it was a, a religious thing, and I was like, well, that was sneaky of you. <laughs> um, because I, I always said, I, want the, I wanted the handbook for living, I want the handbook for living, and then I get programmed, and now it's up to me to say, well, I'm going to use the handbook for living. And uh, so I've got, I've got my, my character defects, so what happens? Oh, that's right. Uh, higher power, I cannot control this. I can't do this. I have to hand this over to you. Okay. It's not like that happens. I feel like someone should really clarify. When you hand that over, it's not like every time you're like, oh, oh, thank God it's over. <laughs> like, it's still uncomfortable. Uh, once in a great while, there's some relief. But it's like, it's still uncomfortable. And I have this confusion because I'm emotionally stunted that if I am uncomfortable it means something is terribly wrong it has to be fixed right away it's like no you're just uncomfortable um, you're just uncomfortable that's all and that will pass just like this happiness will pass um, so um, okay so what else can I talk to you about oh I want to talk about being a sponsor uh, because I go, to, I go to some meetings where everybody's a sponsor, and then I go to some meetings where very few people are sponsors. Uh, all the things I was afraid about about being a sponsor, I was afraid that I would be um, uh, subsumed, consumed by my sponsees. Like, I felt like every time they call, I have to pick up the phone, and we're going to have to talk seven days a week at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they're going to ask me things, and I'm not going to have the answer to them, and then they're going to say, I eat no flour and no sugar, and I go to 10 meetings a week, and I'm like, I don't do that, I can't sponsor you. Um, and I just want to say there's so much room to be a sponsor. Um, there's so many uh, different ways to do it. Uh, I've had sponsees that we, we uh, made an immediate connection and almost a friendship, a friendship connection. And so I had to say early on, I think we could be great friends. But I'm going to be that person that's not your friend and who is your sponsor. Um, and then if we stop working together, we can totally, let's, yay, let's be friends. But um, I feel like it was when I was a kid, like my mother would say to me, like, you're going to have lots of friends, but you're just going to have one of me. And I was like, thank God for that. But, <laughs> but like, it is a special, it is a, a special uh, relationship that to me is, is really important to kind of maintain those boundaries. Um, I've been fired as a sponsor because I haven't been available enough. I've fired other sponsors because they haven't been available enough. Um, I've had to let sponsors, uh, sponsees go because my ego got involved. And I thought, I hear other people, and they have like four or five sponsees, so I'm going to do that. Well, I, 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 don't, I can't really do that. I, I have children, and I got, I got other responsibilities. And some people can. I'm saying some people with children have five sponsees. That's fine. My problem was, was I took all these people on because I was like, somebody else does it this way. 
And then, you know, one by one, they were like, hey, are you available? And I was like, no, but I feel bad. And then I'm not calling you. And she's like, oh. So no. And then, but I just want, I want to share that to be like, you can do it wrong. You can do it wrong. They can fire you. You can fire them. You can stay with someone for 10 years. You can stay with someone for three months. Like, it's all okay. Where I learned how to work with people was through having a sponsor and, oh my God, in the traditions and business meetings. To, to sit through a business meeting, like at a, at above level, you know, like an intergroup level thing, to sit through a business meeting and walk out and not want to eat a cake. <laughs> Holy cow. And that to me is like, I don't do a lot of... Uh, Uh, 12-step like outreach in this program I've never quite figured out how to do it but I'll tell you where it shows up is in my interactions with other people in in outside organizations like I do a lot of work in outside organizations and groups and people are always like God you seem so calm and I'm like oh you have no idea you have no idea like to practice being in a group of people where they're like oh there's some higher power that's in charge that will keep you sane and going into another business meeting, like an outside business meeting, like it's just a higher power, there's just a higher power, everyone has a higher power, this organization has a higher power, and that to me, that is the way I've done it. I've never been able to do it with like, do you want to eat a salad too? Because I'm eating a salad and I feel so much better. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I always, I always want to like wrap it up basically like with a show number or something, but... <laughs> There's nothing to say. I'm uh, I'm really I'm really grateful that OA allows me to be honest about all of my deep dark feelings. Um, like I said, my father passed away a few years ago. My mother's been in and out of the hospital uh, for the last year or so, and she doesn't live here. She lives far away, and and uh, we've had a you know a, a complicated relationship over the years. And and uh, lately, I'm getting some. <laughs> feedback from my higher power that uh, um, uh, it's like the big book says like I want to direct the whole show and I wish you would just let me direct the whole show uh, because it makes me look good to be the person in control and um, and I just I just know that's how it should work and I'm getting information from my higher power that's like you know, I think you're you're going to need to back off with your with your relationship with your mother, which just feels like, are you kidding me? Uh, but either you know, either my higher power is or my higher power isn't, so we don't get to cherry pick that advice because it just gets confusing. So anyway, thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. I have a question. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the development of your relationship with your higher power? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the the question was to talk about the development of my relationship with my higher power. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, I would say it's kind of like a 
a friend who you really, really love who goes out of state and then you forget to call him for a while. Um, so when I first when I first came in, my higher power, honestly, my higher power showed up to me as like kind of like a cute boy who I would have wished to have as an older brother. Like I always wanted a protector. And so it was that for a while. Then my higher power kind of looked like Santa Claus, but not really all that that entails, but just this idea of a an authority figure who wanted the best for me and loved me. Um, then I had a then I had a, a dream uh, where there was a, a woman underwater with big flowing hair and a robe on, and and then I saw a picture of her, and it, I saw a picture of her in a book, and it turns out she's the She's like a Korean goddess of compassion or something like that. Um, so it's two different things, kind of what it looks like and what it is. Uh, now when I think of my higher power, sometimes I have a vision of what it looks like, but it's, it's more like when I was a kid, we had these family friends that when I was at my most awkward age, like 11, 12, 13, uh, every time I saw them, they were delighted to see me. Just delighted to see me. Couldn't wait to hear what I had to say. Always gave me a big hug. So now when I think about my higher power, usually it's in terms of, uh, it's a problem. Like, I want to eat this. I'm mad at my husband now, and I don't know how to forgive him or whatever. And so it's just this feeling of someone coming in like, oh, <laughs> They're delightful. Whatever this is, we'll fix it. Don't worry about it. Um, so, so that's kind of what it is. I don't have a. There's no like sticker or anything like it. And I also feel like my higher power is a good sense of humor, like the, the funny bumper sticker, you know, that's like trust. Like, okay, I gotcha. All right. Um, yeah. So that's that. And I have your highest power. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you fall short of perfection, do you ever get self-critical and self-hating? And so, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll, t- I'll give you some examples of falling, falling short of perfection, which I have a ton of practice with, so you're lucky if you ask me. Um, uh, one of the things that often happens is uh, I have to go to a lot of p- parties for my husband's job. There's a lot of beautiful people at those parties. And so sometimes when I'm getting ready, I'll be looking in the mirror. And then as soon as we get the voice that says, like, oh, what are you doing? You're putting lipstick on a pig. I'm like, and we're done. And we're all done. We're all done. Thank you so much for sharing. I don't care if half my makeup is on and the dress is half zipped up. We're all done with the mirror. We go out. We're like, thank you very much. Uh, so that's one of the things is like a like a, a um, diversion. But the other thing about like falling short, um, I'm trying to think about uh, there's a food that I lied about, or I know what it was. I uh, in my in my tenth step at night, I was like I had cereal, and I think we all know that if you're saying I had cereal, there's a reason that you're not saying how much cereal you had. So what I have to do is, generally what happens is it 
it'll come out in a meeting, maybe. Especially if my sponsor's not at the meeting. So it, it's, it's like a process. Like it'll come out at a meeting, then maybe it'll come out at a meeting where my, my sponsor is there, and then maybe I will write an email, like even like a week later, like, I meant to tell you about the cereal, and I had this, you know, I had a lot of it. Um, and, uh, and she has just repeatedly said to me, like, I don't judge you. I don't judge you. I don't care. Eat a whole box of cereal. I don't care. It's your recovery. And um, I had a sponsee share with me that she, you know, I got a list of some foods that she ate. And I was finally like, oh, I'm not judging her. My sponsor really isn't judging me. Or what may be the case, which, which I can't get away from as a compulsive overeater, maybe she is judging me and maybe I'm judging my sponsee because that's the first thought that comes into my head, but I don't share it. I don't, I'm not saying like, Oh, that's not happening. So that's just more of the perfection part, I guess, that answers it. Yes, so the question is, do I have any daily practices that I always do? I have daily practices. If I always do that, I'm going to say I got some 80% practices. Um, when I get up in the morning, I'm, I usually feel compelled to read the newspaper, and then I stop myself and say, you can read the newspaper, uh, and usually it's on my phone, after you have read uh, uh, an, uh, an OA reader, and I read another, another program reader, and uh, I, I go through, I'm going through the um, OA 12 and 12 now, paragraph by paragraph, and uh, and underlining things in the paragraph. Um, Then if things are going really well and no one has, like, knocked on the door to be like, I need something, uh, I will meditate then. And I I would like to say that um, meditation does work, and I know because I've done it and then stopped. And so I can tell you, having done the, the research on it, it works. So if you're doing it, you should keep doing it because <laughs> it's better when you do it. Um, and then I send a 10-step to my sponsor at night. And, um, and I made it a point lately to try and check in with fellows during the day, especially fellows that have, um, have shared at meetings about outside things that are going on. That is, that is really helpful because otherwise my daily practices left to my own device are um, reading the newspaper for way, way too long. Um, and uh, and thinking about if just about how far I could go with a snack before it seems like that's no good. So it's it's not a choice of if I have daily practices. Oh, I've got them. It's a question of whether I choose to use the ones that are helpful to me or the ones that further my disease. So yeah. Thank you so much. Um, do your children know that your program is? Uh, yeah, so my children are, the question was, do my children know that I'm in program and how do I negotiate that? Yes, I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. Uh, I came in when my 13-year-old was a year old. And early on, I would have to tell them because if you have young children at all, like there's constantly this birthday party thing and we want to make a snack and want to make a treat. And so I had to say, uh, Mommy doesn't eat those kinds of foods because they make me look crazy. 
And what was nice and frustrating about that was then they would, as soon as we were someplace and someone would offer me something, they would be like, my mom can't eat those. She can't eat those things. They make her crazy. <laughs> so that was helpful. Um, what, what has gotten a little trickier is now my oldest daughter is saying, like, do you think I will be a compulsive overeater? And I have to, I say to her, like, I have, I have no idea. Um, I've shared with them that our families are prone to liking certain substances more than other things, and sometimes we get really involved in those. Um, so just to kind of think about it as a, uh, like you would say, like, oh, a heart disease runs in the family or something like that. But also because my higher power has a, hysterical sense of humor uh, my oldest daughter when she was about six or seven took up baking and I mean like savant like took up baking like oh I'm going to make everything from scratch and blah 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 so it's kind of a joke that I've never eaten anything she's ever made um, I you know I haven't had a birthday cake I haven't had any of theirs and it's just not an issue because uh, they know that I love them and if I was in the disease I would have this confused idea that like oh, the only way they will know that I love them is if I eat their birthday cake. Then they'll just discard the part where I scream at them later. You know, like, so, anyway, that's my experience with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so the question was uh, talking about being pregnant in program. Um, yeah, so when I was pregnant, the, I wasn't pregnant the first time. I was pregnant the second time in program, and uh, I had morning sickness, which I, I never, I didn't have before. And uh, I had to add a third snack to my, uh, my day, and it involved eating crackers before I got out of bed. And I was like, oh, I'm afraid of crackers, because at that point I wasn't, um, I've never been a person who's been completely off of carbs. That just was not my story. Um, even until recently, I, uh, I, don't, I don't eat bread very, very often, and I, I stopped eating bread recently, but I ate uh, Ezekiel bread for a long time, uh, and it had nothing to do with anything except the density of it slowed me down. But... Um, being being pregnant, I had to be more... Um, sorry, let me just gather my thoughts before I just kind of wander on about this thing. First of all, I felt super alone when I was pregnant in program because I didn't know anybody else who was pregnant in program. I was on... The only place I found other people who were pregnant was on phone meetings. And... Um, I made it clear to my doctors when I went in that I would weigh turned around... I didn't want them to tell me how much weight I was gaining. Um, you know, even though they seemed to really want to tell you. I was just like, <laughs> just tell it to each other after I leave. I don't need to know it. Um, and so uh, when I got pregnant, I weighed 165. And I didn't, I didn't weigh myself. And I didn't weigh myself after my second daughter was born. And when my second daughter was about 18 months old, I got on the scale again and I weighed 165. And I found out later, okay, I found out later that I had gained, I think, 20 pounds while I was pregnant with her. The first time around, I gained 45. Um, yeah, and the, the hardest part, actually, more than the pregnancy, was um, even people who know the rules about, like, no crosstalk and stuff like that in program just can't seem to help themselves 
with talking about your body or with talking about how you should eat or what you should do or whatever. So um, I don't know. I was kind of I was kind of crabby about that, frankly. I was just like, it was nice to be able to come into a meeting and be like, stop, stop talking about my body. Uh, but I, I, I will say I, I never had less trouble getting clothes than when I was pregnant. For some reason, something tipped in my head, and I was like, this is exactly how I'm supposed to look. That looks great. Let's put it on. There was no, like, oh, this is too big or this is too small. I was like, oh, I'm perfect. So that was an unexpected side effect, which is really good. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, can you talk about making amends and if there were differences in the first go-round steps? Yeah. Sure. Uh, the, uh, talking about making amends and differences between the first time and the later times I've done it. So the biggest amends I had to make the first time was uh, I had been working for a company and doing a project for them, and um, the project didn't go ahead, but it, this was this was years ago, and they had given me a laptop computer to use, and I never returned it. And I kept it for a long time, and I I don't know, I justified like it was, who knows what I thought it was, but I was sure I was right. And so then I had to call them and say, hey, by the way, and you know, I'm because I'm so nice, like it was really hard to make any of those amends anyway, because I'm like, I'm such a nice person. Um, I'm such a nice person, but I stole your computer. And I had to say, like, I stole your computer. And uh, I was very lucky. The response was like, oh, my God, we have tons of those in the closet. How are you? It's so great to talk to you. Um, so that was the one I was the most scared about. There was also a financial amends that I had to make that I could not get a hold of this person. And so I, uh, I had taken a loan from someone and the... Um, <laughs> I will just share, like it was an entertainment, so then after 10 years I couldn't get a hold of the person because they were so fancy they wouldn't take the call. And I was just like, I don't want to come to the office, I don't want to do anything, I just want to give you $400. And, um, and I got an address and I sent a, um, I sent a um, not a check because I didn't want to wait for them to cash it, a money order, I sent a money order. Um, and then had to sit with the fact, like, I don't know if they ever got it. And then the last amends that I made was to my oldest daughter. We went out to dinner, and I got, I got all screwy with the food, and I ordered a, some bread for the table. And she was like, I don't know why you're doing that, because I can't eat bread with my braces, and I thought you weren't eating bread. And I was like, it's going to be fine. Don't you worry about it. It's going to be fine. And then I ate the entire loaf of bread, and she was scared. She was like... Not, like, like nobody was crying. It wasn't. It wasn't alcohol. I didn't have a knife to her throat. But it was one of those things where your mother says, like, I can't do this because it makes me kind of crazy. And then you just watch her do it. And I was like, mm. so my amends that I had made to her and to me is like, I stopped eating. I stopped eating bread after that because I was like, I don't. I don't want to scare them. Even if my disease makes me think like it's not a big deal. Like it's a big deal to scare your kids. So anyway, that was that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so the question was how I incorporate laughter and humor into my program. Um, I chose my first sponsor in another program because she made a joke at a meeting, and everyone was very kind of quiet. And she made a joke, and I was like, "You're the one for me," um, because it's so serious to me if I don't have humor I just kind of devolve into shame and um, 
just my experience growing up in my life is when you say the unspoken people laugh because they're like oh my god I can't believe you said it and that just makes everything feel so much lighter to me and um, uh, I did speak at an R2 conventional a couple years ago a panel on humor Um, that was hard that was a hard thing because uh, everybody's got a different sense of humor so (laughs) I thought I was pretty funny but it it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't super funny Um, but it's good to it's I don't know I'll just finish by saying like I don't have a choice like that's just who I am so I have to be like hey guess what I could either eat a pizza or tell you I was molested (laughs) Uh, and that's going to make me feel better the other one so anyway um, okay Uh, thank you